Hi, I'm Sammy, and welcome to episode 8 of Hey Chef, our final episode of season 1. In today's episode, we are talking to two Baltimore chefs, Chef Katina Smith and Chef Kaya Gibeon. They are starting a new business together called Our Time Kitchen, a shared commercial kitchen that will provide prep space for women-owned food startups. We will learn about this new venture, as well as their individual culinary journeys. So, let's get into it. Here is Hey Chef. Hi chefs, so happy to have you both on the show. This is my first time interviewing two chefs at the exact same time. So uh, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> this is also the last episode for season one. Pretty awesome for you guys to uh, wrap up the show with me. So you are both here because you started a business together called Our Time Kitchen. Yes. I'm looking forward to learning more about this. First, I do want to learn more about both of you individually. Chef Kat, you've worked in many restaurants. To name a few, we have Guy Fieri, Magdalena... Mm -hmm. Alexander Brown restaurant. You even cooked in for the Army Corps for 7,000 troops every day. You're currently a chef for a catering company at Copper Kitchen. So my question is, how have these various restaurant experiences shaped your style? And what would you say your cooking style is? I think my cooking style now is kind of just like uh, comfortable. But if I could say this, like, sexy on a plate i would like to say because of my uh fine dining background um with the military influence being in the air force reserves i think it's kind of helped my um what's the word i'm looking for discipline discipline yes <laughs> it's helped me be disciplined in the kitchen because you truly have to be disciplined in the kitchen and i i'm sure you know a little bit about that just how you keep your area clean how you how you knees your stuff out just being ready being clean and i think that the military has definitely helped me out in that way mm -hmm. um but having dabbled in different aspects of cooking, I think I've come down to make wanting to make comfortable food. So just like food that makes you feel good, food that fills you up, like not so much like the cute, like one one little dot on a plate, a swirl and all that kind of thing, but really wanting to fill you up and feel good, mm -hmm. but also it looking good because we do eat with our eyes. Okay. So can you talk about the, uh, the major differences between working uh, in a restaurant versus primarily a catering company? Yeah, definitely. So I think, so working in a catering company is kind of like um, production. So it's just like kind of monotonous, the same thing, pushing out big numbers. Whereas in a restaurant, it's more creative, but it's mm. way more stressful. I feel like it's mm. your reputation on the line. I feel like it's you wanting to be uh, better than the guy next to you. My knives are sharper than yours. My, <laughs> my meat looks better than yours, that type of thing. Yeah. And and just like the customers out there just waiting, like, okay, we need to hurry up, especially like if it's a busy night, having to just be super fast paced and chef might be in a bad mood and is yelling at you. And then you're mm. feeling some kind of way versus in um, catering is way more relaxed. Like, you know what you need, you know, your numbers, you're able to kind of um, time management is a little mm. bit better. Um, but if you're like really creative in that way and you like, um, 
menus changing often, then catering definitely isn't for you. But that's the fun part about the um, restaurant industry is that especially if you work in a seasonal uh, restaurant, that they're changing so often. So it gives you that opportunity to be creative. Which do you like more? I think we all like the madness of restaurants because it's like, ah, fast paced, go, go, go. But right now, like I've been doing a lot of personal chef things and that's where I think I truly shine. So it's, it's all on me creating the menu, the pace of things. Um, and I just think that's where I really kind of able to be creative and I'm able to render that customer service and that one-on-one with the customers. And I definitely like that way better. Me being the boss and in charge okay. of all aspects of that dining experience. It's so. honestly a kind of a perfect combination because you have the parts of the catering that you like where you like know how many you're cooking for and you can plan ahead with right. the plating and creativity components of the restaurant. So yep. it's like a beautiful combo. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Chef Kaya, so you started a food truck business a couple years ago called Wild Time. So what was your inspiration for starting this business, uh, food truck business, by the way? Yeah, so I had been really passionate about um, about education, and I had been interested in kind of like the Montessori style of learning, really hands-on, had also... Um, been working in, with an advocacy group that had um, some support groups around that centered around art. And um, the more I kind of thought about what I was excited to be teaching and, and working with, uh, the more I was attracted to food. Um, farming specifically caught my eye just because it's, um, you can get your hands in dirt, you can be outside, you can get to know your environment, um, and the result is delicious food. And so I, I kind of started down a path of um, working with a group that was doing kind of urban garden cooking classes, and it was I was kind of learning in tandem with the students. And eventually kind of got to a point where I was like, I would really love to learn more about farming and spent a few years farming and and um on that journey kind of was surprised about the kind of how hard it was to farm and how hard it was to make a profit farming and was curious to kind of figure out where in the food industry people are making money on food um just because the way that we value food has been so obscured by fast food and just the 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 ready to go eat mentality um and so just was was really curious about how kind of what was being lost on on the value of slow food and that kind of led led me into kitchens um, I was able to work for a family that started a Greek food truck. And so they taught me a lot of, a lot of what I kind of, the, the recipes I started with on the food truck. They also just taught me about how to, how to, just how to prepare in bulk, something that I hadn't, I hadn't learned farming. And from there brought it back close to home and started a food truck in Baltimore that was really focused on exploring those that that kind of relationship of like local food and um and ready fast um and a food truck seems like the the most kind of adaptable and flexible way to to reach people Hmm. so you were talking about greek cuisine but i read that your truck is 
Mexican and Greek inspired. So where, so where did the Mexican come into play? Yeah. So I, I learned from a Greek family and then I also was able to shadow a chef in Mexico, um, before I started the truck. And part of that was to improve my own, my own Spanish speaking abilities. A lot of the behind the scenes of the food industry from farming to kitchens, um, is supported primarily by immigrants. Um, and so it felt really important to me to be able to communicate with everyone that is in an industry that I care about. And so that combining learn, bettering my skills to communicate along with learning about food, there was an opportunity that came up that supported both of those things. And so that's kind of, yeah, that really launched the, the initial menu that relied on the lessons I learned in, um, in the kitchen, home kitchen in Mexico and um, the Greek family that taught me. Awesome. So uh, for this is for both of you. So what kinds of food did you guys grow up with? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Like my mom, um, I don't know. I just remember like basic like mom food, like just making sure you have like chicken or some sort of protein, like green beans or mac and cheese and things like that. Like it was never like, I wouldn't say focus in a necessarily cuisine, just making okay. sure that I had like those three elements on the plate was how my mom cooks mm. for sure. Yeah. I feel like I learned, I, st my passion and education around food came much later at home. My, my, I grew up, my mom was vegetarian. So that influenced some of the food that I was eating. Mm. Um, she was somebody that, um, May, would teach herself to make really incredible food, but it was all, she was so self-taught that it was an experience she was having kind of solo in the kitchen. It wasn't something that I was really that involved in. And so my, my journey around food was, was more commu community taught outside of my, my home growing up. Yeah. And yeah, my fan. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and uh, was there any specific cuisines at all or? I guess I would have to say soul food then for me. Um, okay. My mom, like her greens are like famous, her collard greens, and mm. she makes for every every holiday she has to bring them. So like good collard greens, good like that baked mac and cheese for um, mm. fried chicken. No, I, I didn't even grow up on fried chicken. Why did I just say that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, that's all I can really think of. And we were just like really big crab eaters too. Okay. For as long as I can remember. Awesome. Yeah, I, my grandfather was, um, he was born in Prague in the Czech Republic mm. and fled because of the Holocaust. He was Jewish. Um, and so um, he, when he moved, he became a Quaker. And so our, our, the food I remember growing up was like really simple. It was like chicken noodle soup and oat, like mm. oatmeal. Um, and it wasn't until later in life that he started feeling more comfortable sharing dishes that he loved. We would go to the um, Czech Bazaar, which happens every November in D.C., mm. and we would get like big plates of goulash mm. and um, and and borscht and stuff like that. And, and, you know, I it's food that I really love, but it is it's a hard cuisine to eat around year round. It's pretty heavy um and really and really warm but it's it's yeah it's a comforting it's comforting to me so chef cat i read that you have a lot of degrees in school um you studied 
culinary arts, hospitality and restaurant management, uh, organizational management. Um, you also have a master's degree in acquisition and procurement management. Um, so you seem to really like school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so with the schooling, like, um, you know, after high school, I went directly to culinary school after finally figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. I said, okay, I want to be a chef. So I'm going to go to culinary school. And I wish I would have known later with all these student loans that, hey, I could have learned to be a chef without culinary school. But mm. it's cool. It's cool to say sometimes that I went to culinary school. And while I was in culinary school, like during one of their col um, job fairs, they had um, the army come through, the military come through and just kind of promoting the military and how you'll be like cooking for generals and all this kind of thing. They made it sound super fancy. And I was like, okay, I'll go do that. So that's why I joined the military. And my dad, my dad was in the Navy. So joining the military wasn't so far fetched for me to do. And going through my military training and everything, they incorporated a degree. So they have what's called the community college of the air force. So when you have so many classes and trainings put together, they give you a degree mm. in hospitality management. And um, and then I just went ahead and finished my uh, bachelor with all those um, credits put together and then did a couple more classes to finish up my bachelor's degree. And then with me being in the military, it's just such a long story. because <laughs> I went outside of cooking and then I was working for the Army Corps of Engineers. So I, uh, I was a government um, employee and I was looking for I was looking for a job before I got this job and I needed to have a master's degree mm -hmm. to get hired. So after I finished my bachelor's, I just jumped right into that master's degree to grab that job. Mm -hmm. do, do you feel like all of this education in the field um, has helped you along the way to like reach your chef goals? Um, definitely. Like even with the acquisition, um, that's a whole bunch of just contract stuff. So kind of just understanding that side of thing and learning how to create relationships with the federal government. Mm -hmm. Um, culinary school, of course, I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of things outside of culinary school, but just kind of giving me a nice foundation and, um, just the management parts, I think, have helped me with the entrepreneurial stuff that I'm doing now. So yeah, definitely. But I think a lot of I think a lot of things in the culinary industry you can learn on the job. Mm, yeah, I'm asking this because um, I'm deciding whether or not to go to culinary school. Like when I go to college, uh, do you have See, any? I think advice? you're I think you're in a good spot because you're already like staging mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. I don't think you, I don't, I wouldn't recommend it. You don't think so? Okay. <laughs> Unless you have a scholarship, I, I wouldn't do it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because you can learn everything you need. Like even now when I'm trying to learn techniques, I'm on YouTube all day. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to teach myself uh, molecular gastronomy. I've learned it all on YouTube. Why would I pay thousands of dollars <laughs> when I could do it myself for free. You know what I'm saying? Just investing a couple dollars into the chemicals and the tools that you need to, to try it yourself. And especially you working with um, a, a great chef, he could teach you, you ask him and he'll show you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'm always on YouTube as well, watching and uh, yeah. studying. YouTube yeah. University. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so like if you are looking to be an entrepreneurial type of chef, I would go to college or just some sort of program, just, to give you more of that business background, mm. just some of that, but like the cooking stuff you can learn on the job. 
Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would say. I mean, I went to study. I went to school for women's and gender studies in French. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> look how far we've come. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I would say, like you know, in for me, I've like learned more about what I what I could have been studying throughout through the process. And you know, I like when I was farming, I definitely felt like it would have been handy to have more environmental science skills. Mm. Um, um, a little bit more chemistry just cause of soil stuff. Um, when I was, uh, yeah. And then, and then once I launched this business, having kind of a better understanding of, of accounting taxes, all of that stuff that goes into running your own business. Um, and, and for the most part, when you're running your own business and you're teaching yourself a lot of these things and it's not impossible to learn while you're doing it. Um, but it definitely, there are, there are components. I mean, even just honestly, the history of food is really interesting and there's like a lot to, to, um, to delve into, into where, you know, um, the, yeah, the origin of different recipes and, and, um, how food, the food industry has developed over time. Like education is important. We're not, I don't know. They said Chef Kat told me not to go to college. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not it at all. But I'm saying you can learn the food stuff hands on when you're working in it. Yeah. But the outside stuff, I think the business, like I was trying to, I was doing like a dual degree where I was doing the acquisition and MBA, but it was like so hard. So I, was, I mm. only did one instead, but I would definitely recommend like MBA because it does teach you all that, like marketing and counting and all that kind of stuff that you'll definitely need to know if you're going to go entrepreneur. I also think like the, the, if you're becoming a chef, it, like, I think that the career of being a chef attracts people that are really hands-on learning yeah. folks and really want to be involved in, in, in just trial and error. Like a lot of what's happening in the kitchen is experimentation and, yeah. um, and is just a completely different, you can, you can acquire that knowledge in a way that is so different than when you're sitting in a classroom and reading from a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I value that the time I spent in college, I think I learned a lot that was really valuable for me. But I also think that like respecting that there's a lot of different ways that we can be learning and educating. And then, and then like chefs always say that like, I don't care that you went to culinary school, show me what you know how to do. <laughs> always yeah. say that chefs like look down sometimes on people that went to culinary school, like, oh, you went to culinary school. You think you're all that? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't <laughs> so yeah, definitely like, Either way, I think it could work to your favor. Yeah, exactly. And you can you can read a recipe, but you can't you won't exactly know how to do it unless you actually do it. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, Chef Kaya, I read that you worked as a farmhand in Argentina, as you were talking about a little bit, a good truck manager in the U.S. Virgin Islands, um, and at other farms in D.C. Can you talk about like some of your experiences uh, there, like a little more in depth? Yeah. So Argentina, similar to um, wanting to learn cooking in Mexico, Argentina was a a choice I made, again, to continue um, building my Spanish knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, yeah, so I I, um, went to Argentina with the interest in finding a farm to work on um, and knew I wanted to practice Spanish and ended up on a really small, like, biodynamic farm um on the 
Western side of Argentina um, with no one that spoke English. So it was really great. Really got to hone in. Wow. <laughs> um, the schools, the, 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 everyone that was on the farm was doing like a work trade and, and were from different parts of South America. So there were two Chilean um, folks, there was a Colombian, there was a Brazilian, and it was like a really dynamic environment to learn Spanish in because everyone mm -hmm. had a different opinion about like their accents and like the different words that they prefer. And yeah, I think that the I have I kind of by chance happened upon a farm that was really focusing on how you can grow, maximize what you grow in a really small footprint, um, which translates really well into cities. Uh, but again, like this farm was was having a lot of a, a, a challenge with selling their food and for for what it was valued at. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of just farthered my curiosity into where into where um, where folks were making money on food. And so I became more interested in processed food, like processing food and in cooking it. And that combined with uh, falling in love with someone took me to <laughs> St. John and um, was able to work for a farmer and a food truck and got to kind of like, it was really a great opportunity. The family taught me so much and, and also gave me the liberty to play around with daily specials and loved my experience there and also you know, St. John has a complicated history and it's really impacted by the tourism industry. And, um, and it felt a little bit, I, I really wanted, I was kind of gearing up to wanting to be like, I want my involvement in food. I wanted it to be um, like a tool for social change. And it felt mm -hmm. like something that could be more manageable in an area where I um, grew up and had community and and just like had more access to input from from different folks and so that kind of brought me back to the area and then when I there's a book called The Color of Food um, it's written by Natasha Bowen she is a, far, a farmer in Frederick Maryland and she mm. the book basically is her journey across the country visiting all um, farmers that are farms that are operated by people of color and she, in that process, I don't think it exists anymore, but at the time she had created a blog with a map of all um, farmers of color that were in the area. And I was really interested in supporting a farmer of color in the industry and ended up working at a mushroom farm in DC. And was just managing the climate in the greenhouse for a little bit and just figuring out how I was gonna start this business. That sounds awesome. Like what kind of mushrooms was he growing? Um, they actually go by they them and they oh, were growing sorry. um like a whole bunch, but I mean the coolest ones that I mean I also a lot of them I hadn't known before I started, but the coolest one they grew was lion's mane. Hmm. And they were just like there was some inoculating like outdoor soil and logs, but most of it were just on like these uh like compost bricks inside the greenhouse that they were um, growing things off of pink oyster too, mm. which are really beautiful. Beautiful mushrooms, yeah. Uh, Chef Kai, you were talking about um, social change. Um, so going back to Chef Cat, I want to talk about your initiative called Just Call Me Chef. Um, I read about this movement a while ago, and we even interviewed um, another chef, Chef Tourette Thomas, who joined your movement last fall. Can you can you talk to me about Just Call Me Chef and why you were inspired to get it started? 
So Just Call Me Chef is a sisterhood of Black women chefs. Uh, mm-hmm. As I'm not sure you know, but probably by now that this is a white male dominated industry mm-hmm. and that we are, I think, overlooked all too often. And this was created to kind of create a sense of unity amongst each other so that we could build each other up and just be that representation that we need. Even me growing up on TV, I didn't really see any Black female chefs. And it's important for youth and just people in the industry in general to see people that look like them so that they can know that a goal is attainable. Um, and so that's pretty much what it's all about. We, I have members across the country and we connect virtually with each other mm. from just mentorship to collaborating with one another exchanging advice with each other. Hey, if I need some hands, I know I can hit up one of my Just Call Me Chef sisters and like, Mm -hmm. yo, can you show up for me and help me with this event real quick? So just being able to have that network is pretty um, awesome. And and it started, of course, like I said, because of the lack of representation and, and me not having that sense of community that I needed to feel supported and safe. That's awesome. All right, do you know if there are any like similar movements around the country? Yeah, there are other organizations that I think are put together for minorities and minority women. Um, I know my friend Chef L has an organization called She Chef that is also for minority women, Mm. Um, but nothing like this. This is more, I always say, like a sorority for Black women chefs. So more focused on like that sisterhood and that relationship between each other. That's awesome. That that community that you guys have. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Chef Kaya. You're a member of TasteWise Kids and their Days of Taste program. Uh, can you can you talk to me about why you're a part of this and um, why you wanted to be a part of it? Yeah, so um, TasteWise Kids is an organization in Baltimore that works to they do they basically do programs for fourth and fifth graders throughout Baltimore City. Hartford County, Howard County, Baltimore County. They basically do three days where they talk about where food comes from. They take a field trip to a local farm and they, um, and then the third day a a guest chef comes in and teaches a a recipe. Mm. Um, And so it was, I was drawn to it simply because it's a really Montessori style. It's really hands-on. Like the Mm. first lesson you're really like tasting, there's like a test where you taste like salt, sugar, citric acid, Mm. cocoa powder, and you're just like exploring all of the flavors that your tongue can hit. Um, And then, you know, taking folks directly to a farm is such a wonderful experience. And then having chefs come in um, and kind of be superstars for a day and show off something feels really exciting. So, yeah, I've I've done I've done different cooking classes and cooking demonstrations throughout Baltimore. And and Taste Wise Kids was a, a wonderful group to volunteer with just to directly show up in a classroom and bring kind of the kitchen and food experience and I got, to, and I got to cook for an event with them, too, so that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so uh, let's get into your partnership. Uh, you guys both have so much experience in the community, um, in social justice, and in the food industry. So obviously, you guys have common interests like and ideas. But how did you guys meet? Like, Can, can you talk about that? And um, yeah, and how did your collaboration come to be? Um, we met, what was that, six years ago? Man, time mm-hmm. flies. Dang. I was doing a pop-up 
and Chef Kaya had been reaching out to me and we were, our schedules were always just like not in sync. And so she saw that I was doing a pop-up and she pulled up on me and was like, hey, <laughs> I'm Kaya, I'm doing this thing and I see you doing your food thing in Baltimore. And we kind of just been like synced up ever since. We've been doing pop-ups together. We've sh- been showing up for each other whenever Kaya has things with her food truck. I'll probably pull up and, and support her. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm having something, she pulls up and supports me. And I started... Um, like a chef meetup i was hosting a group um like once a month where people would get together chefs would get together and kind of just talk uh, about things going on in the industry kind of just like bent to each other and things like that and so uh kai and i were uh, she would come to those things and we were kind of just listening to the problems that people were facing and that's how we kind of just started thinking like we need to create this space that our friends need. And and that was like the topic of conversation all the time. Oh, I need a commercial kitchen. I need a commercial kitchen or this, this kitchen is too expensive. I can't get in. And just like that lack of access. Mm-hmm. And we finally just kind of put our heads together. Like we can create this thing. Cause we had, yeah. I mean, we've been, it's been needed for the entire time that we've known each other. And we, I mean, we both were working on building kind of separate projects and the more I, I built out wild time. I had to move kitchens every year that I was in business. And so the, the challenge was very real for, for growing my own business. Um, and then just the, the comrades in the industry that we became close with, it was, it was redundant. It just, it was a continued issue. Um, especially for these more like, uh, seasonal and, um, and kind of like mobile businesses, and yeah, we just, we, I think we got to a point where we were like, let's, so, let's actually solve this problem. Like we, we've wanted to solve this problem and it's been really daunting because again, like some, you know, we, we're going to have to ask for a lot of money and we're like, there's a reason it doesn't exist because yeah. it's hard, it's mm-hmm. hard to create. Certainly. Um, But we, we really, we, the more we thought about it, the more we kind of also like in both of our experiences, like. I remember the first time I, I met you and then right after you were like, do you want to come do this pop-up with me at the farmer's market? <laughs> and I was like, sure. Like, I'll come, I'll come help you, you know, prep for that. And then we, we did it. And, and the farmer's market manager was like, do you want to come next week? And we were like, sure. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we just like kept, and like, yeah, like Kat was saying with, um, with just call me chef, like just having a person in the industry that you can call and be like, this person's out sick. I need, like, I need an extra set of hands. And so just from, yeah, I think from experience of going, like going through these different work, these different parts of the food industry and seeing that, um, you know, something that like in that process, we were reaching out, we, we loved doing pop-ups together and there really weren't a lot of spaces to do that in. And so just thinking, okay, like, is there a way to combine all of these things that are kind of lacking that like we can't really access on our own can we like create a hub for all of those things and I think that's really what took it from an idea to something that we felt we could present to funders and and other folks um of just like not only are we going to tr- create a kitchen that you can rent hourly and there'll be sliding scale options for you know the the footprint you take up but also you can rent a dining room you can rent a to-go window you can rent a food truck like you can rent all these things where you can try on what it feels like to grow your own business hmm. so i i also read that um there's like a child care service as well uh, this, this this place sounds awesome <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So of course, it being a safe space for uh, women mm-hmm. um, and women identifying individuals, we were mothers. Mm-hmm. So um, we need a place to for our kids to go. And and I run up uh, against this problem all the time because I have three kids, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm not able to work because I don't have the childcare. So we're going to either. It's a, it's a lot of red tape with uh, with childcare. So we're either going to try to provide it possibly in-house or create a partnership with a um, childcare service so that our members can access it. Yeah. And I think just with anything looking at when you're talking about access in general, you know, it you have to think about it from a lot of different perspectives. And so, so many people, so many people in the industry, you know, um, and can't get to work because of childcare on yeah. certain, you know, like it's a, li- it's a, it, it's a limiting factor and we're trying to eliminate limiting factors mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. So where are you guys in the process of opening? Like as of right now? Right now we are begging people for money. <laughs> <laughs> right now we're in the middle of uh, getting the loan for the renovation. So it's a whole bunch of um, financials, our personal financials. And people don't think about this. Hey, when you open a business, banks are going to be like looking into your private stuff, like mm-hmm. your history and everything. And you're uh, just knowing how you are with money, how responsible you are with money. So we are in that process right now. And that's, I mean, that's a barrier for for small businesses, minority owned businesses in, in accessing the capital required to grow. And we're kind of hoping to like, our, our dream is to like lump that all the, like lump all the problems together, push through them and then open the doors and let people just use the stuff that we trouble like got, you know, Mm -hmm. problem solved. One of them is just, yeah. Access to capital. We, we found a building there's, I mean, when we start, we started working on this six months ago, um, we were, you know, building out the business plan, the mission, the website, our fundraising plan, all of that. And um, we kind of, we were like, when do we think this can open? And our goal is kind of end of the fall of this year, 2021. Um, And then you get into it and it's like all of these delays on basic, simple things um, because of the pandemic and because just um systems are flawed (laughs) um so we yeah we're waiting to secure a building and um secure the funding that would help us build the project um but we're in pretty positive conversations all around with with both of those components yeah so is the pandemic affecting your opening at all i would say like we're kind of like we see the food industry is being hit really hard by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. The people that are kind of pivoting, able to pivot and able to th- kind of expand and explore in this time are folks that are, are that were already adaptable businesses, whether they were mobile, whether they were small enough that they just could be flexible, whether they were private chefs, meal prep, food trucks, like that niche of industry is, is still moving forward. And so... Um, we feel like we're, we're offering a resource to the direction that the food industry is going, um, kind of intentionally closing the door on maybe some of the more, uh, the more traditional styles of brick and mortar stuff. Yeah. But, um, just as far as like moving forward, like not really like the bank stuff is still going, the, 
construction will still be able to happen in spite of COVID. But yeah, I think the slowest thing is like when we need a, a permit or a paper from the government, from the city government, there are major delays and it's pretty un- like, it's just like pretty unclear. Mm-hmm. There's like, it's hard to hold the like conglomerate of the city government accountable for like the pace you receive documents back. So that, that kind of, I think is the, is the only thing that is changing the pace. But other than that, we're like, yeah, construction still works. Banks are still open. It's Mm -hmm. still able to come together. Wow. That sounds frustrating, but uh, I wish you guys good (laughs) luck. I really want to see this open. Uh, Yeah. This, yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome concept. Okay. So uh, Chef Cat, so since you're from Baltimore, do you have any like favorite restaurants that like when you were a kid that you really loved that are still open and you still go to? When I was a kid, hmm, I remember on Rice's Town Road, there was this place called Micah's and they sold like bomb like trout dinners. Mm-hmm. They're closed now, but the owner that had it just opened a new restaurant called The Reserve. I haven't mm-hmm. been there yet, but I'm excited to because that'll be like that sense of nostalgia, like those good fish dinners that like Baltimore is known for. Hmm. Uh, and do you see any like change um, like, or have you seen any change, uh, like when you were a kid, uh, as for the food scene in Baltimore, like over the years? I don't know about kid, but just like <laughs> the span of like my adulthood, I'm 35 years old. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> 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 um, uh, yeah, I think there has been a change in like the climate of the food scene. Um, I think Baltimore, I think back in the day, like Baltimore wanted to be New York so bad, I think. Like, I think everybody, like, that's their goal. Like, we want to be like New York. But Baltimore, I think, has realized that we're a small city. We are Charm City. And I think that mm-hmm. those charming restaurants are popping up all over the place that that chefs are feeling way more inspired and, and are interesting. Um I think like some of my favorite restaurants, I think are like Orto is my favorite restaurant. Like I love Orto. Like I love pasta. Just a pl- mm. they need to start paying me because I always <laughs> talk about Orto. Um, um, <laughs> and man, I forgot the name of the spot, but it's in Patterson Park and they sell some amazing tacos. Like they are so great. Um, but I just think that Baltimore is feeling more inspired on the food scene and, and that we're growing in that direction. And we're um, just embracing that we are a small city and, and just like using local ingredients and, and just taking more care um, for what, what kind of food they're putting out. Mm. Um, so since you started in the industry, do you think that there have been uh, more black chefs or even like black owned restaurants in Baltimore since then? Um. I don't know. I, I feel like I could name maybe 10 black wow. owned spots. And I think that's because, but a whole bunch of like black owned businesses, mm. but not necessarily brick and mortar. And that's just because like we said about the whole access to capital um, whole thing. Um, but I think black owned businesses are definitely growing. Black owned food businesses are growing. And I know a bunch of my friends are opening businesses that like my friend Amanda just opened up her brick and mortar. Jasmine from um, Urban Oyster got has two restaurants now. Mm-hmm. Also interviewed friend, her. <laughs> yeah, my other friend Felicia just op- she runs a catering business, but just opened a brick and mortar carry out in Randallstown. Like we're definitely getting it done, and I think the pandemic um, just kind of lit a fire under some people um, to to really say the time is now to do it. Yeah. 
So, Chef Kaya, um, are you are you from DC? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so coming from DC, which has one of the best food scenes, I'd say, in the United States. Um, what do you think about Baltimore compared to DC? Well, like I said, my food journey kind of started a little bit late. I felt I feel like I was kind of a late bloomer. So coming to Baltimore, I I probably know more and more have more a more a closer relationship to food in Baltimore than I do in DC. Um, and yeah, there's I I my folks still live in DC and I love to visit them and that because there's always just so many it's such a global scene in DC. There's so many different types of food that is just always really exciting to explore. Um, with Baltimore, I really because of being a mobile food business and because of where I want to spend my money, I really follow mobile food vendors. Um, and that's who I want to eat from because I think that there's so much creativity that goes into showing up somewhere and being able to serve food. Mm-hmm. And I also, I think that, I think that there's just like, yeah, there's a different type of story that's told when you're selling food on the sidewalk versus when you're sitting down to eat it. Um, and there's a, there's a, a handful of places that I love to sit down at, but I think that for, for me, like I, Kat and I went to a conference a year ago in New Orleans and there's so many places to eat in New Orleans. And we were, um, we drove out to this neighborhood that we would never have explored just to find a Just Call Me Chef member doing a pop-up at a brewery. Wow. And it was it, like, there's, it's exhilarating. It's like exhilarating to find food in untraditional places and to just be able to hype that person up that's at the beginning of telling their story. And it just feels really good. Yeah, so speaking of restaurants, uh, catering companies, uh, mobile food businesses, um, can you talk about some of your favorites, uh, both of you guys, or in Baltimore? Yeah, I um, we've mentioned a few of the folks that we kind of grew up, grew, like grew our businesses up with, Jasmine from the Urban Oyster, Amanda from Crest by Mac. Um, I love Rosa from Cocina Luchadoras. I love Sweet 27. That was around the block from where I was living for a lot of time in Baltimore. Um, I think I love Charleston. (laughs) That's one of those places you don't go too often, but when we do go, I always love it. Um, I also love the farmer's market, the 32nd street and JFX farmer's market, like Uh, black sauce, well-crafted pizza, like farm to face, all those folks that are, that are um, there on the regular, the The mushroom lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Thirty Second Street Farmers Market. I go. Th- I've been there what twice this this year. It's a great place, great produce. Yeah. Um, so as we're wrapping up, uh, do you have any advice for me uh, as I'm starting to become a chef? My advice for you, and I'm just gonna act like I'm talking to my younger self, <laughs> is kind of just like get an idea in your head of what kind of chef you want to be, and then just like pursue it full force. Like me, I, I hopped around the industry so much. For some people, that's that's how they learn. I want to hop around to weed out which ones I want. But for some people, for me, I think that was a waste of time. Like if mm. I, I would have known like about fine dining, I would have pursued fine dining from the beginning. Like I wouldn't even mess around with any of that other stuff. Mm. So if you kind of know what you want to do, then I would pursue that full force. If you're so young now, by the time you're like 18, you'll be a beast in the kitchen if you know that's what you want to do. And it's a waste of your time to be like 
I'm not gonna say a waste of your time. You learn wherever you go, but it would just be like streamlined to you getting to the top quicker if you focus on what you truly want. I think um, I think you're already on a great path. I think talking to chefs is an awesome way to learn more about what kind of what path you want to take. And and so the, these conversations you're having, I think, are super beneficial for you and your whole audience. Um, I feel, yeah, I feel like for for me, I, listening to podcasts from food people at the beginning was a fun way to learn about the different things that people were thinking about in the industry. Um, I also think, uh, you know, it's, I think that we, something that Kat and I strongly feel is that um it's easier to work together Mm. and um if you know i i think that like if you learn something share it with the person that's on the chopping board next to you if you know there i think that the more we can kind of shift the food industry to to be more open about the exchange of information and less kind of like how to climb the ladder as individuals the more opportunity there'll be for like creativity and just yeah i think that the yeah access yeah linking up with people with like minds and partnering up yeah it can it's just it's so humbling when we when we can connect to people that want to share a resource or a space or a recipe and um like we've always loved that feeling and we want to give that feeling back and um i think that's a big i mean the point of food is getting people to sit around together and tell a story and so i think just yeah, thinking about kind of what what it is you connect to in in food and and what story you want to tell. Awesome, yep. thank you. Yeah, thank you. Before we go, do you guys have any plugs like where we can find your businesses, uh, Instagram, whatever you want? <laughs> um, yes. So for me personally, my Instagram is at Nashley Chef Cat. My website is Chef hyphencat.com but of course i mainly want to plug our time it's ourtimekitchen.com and it's our time kitchen on instagram twitter across all social media streams and if you want to check out just call me chef it's just call me chef.co um yeah and the our time kitchen has like newsletter link to subscribe donate button on there so if there's ways that you know contact information for our email so if there's um if listeners want to follow up with us there's there's all those resources to do so and wild time is at at wild time baltimore and um www.wildtimebaltimore.com so all right everybody the truck all right everybody you heard them go check them out (laughs) all right uh (laughs) Chefs Kaya and Kat, uh, thank you very much for joining me today. This was fun. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. It was awesome. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode of Hey Chef. Thank you to all of the chefs who are a part of my podcast this season. Chef Chris Amendola. Chef David Thomas. Chef Jasmine Norton. Chef Tourette Thomas. Chef Jerry Pellegrino. Chef John Shields. Chef Katina Smith, and Chef Kaya Gibeon. Thank you to everyone who listened and subscribed this season. I hope you will stay tuned for season two. We might have a couple of surprises for you before then, so be sure to subscribe. Have a great summer. See you next time. This podcast is brought to you by CCBC Student Life's New Media Collective, CCBC's Communication and Media Studies Department, and the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. Produced by Beth Bonick and Brian Kim. Artwork by Sammy Bonick 
and Shannon Design. Theme music by 905 Productions. Thank you to WYPR 88.1 FM, Baltimore's number one news talk station, and WYPR senior producer Bob White for being our studio engineer. 